Good morning, everyone. Good morning, visionaries, and welcome to A Vision for You, Sunday Special Edition. Today is Sunday, January 28, 2017. My name is Melanie C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Oregon. The share ID for Friday, January 27, 2017, is 9520-9520. The title for today's presentation is From Ready to Entirely Ready. What does the big book say about needing to be ready to work the 12-step program of recovery? Page 30 implies that we had to admit that we were real alcoholics, compulsive overeaters in our case, and concede that to our innermost selves. However, admitting that Admitting that and being ready can be two different things. What about ready versus entirely ready? Perhaps some of us have come to realize, maybe again, that there is a gap between those two things, being ready and entirely ready. This gap seems to require a step into the realm of the spirit. This step, a shift a reorder, a language to the heart, perhaps. Page 143 says, he should understand that he must undergo a change of heart. And then again in Bill's story, page 11, it says, here was something at work in a human heart which had done the impossible. And then last, I'll quote another page On page 55, his change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving. Today, a vision for you will welcome to the line a fellow compulsive overeater that has been in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous for more than 25 years and who has now discovered what it means to truly be entirely ready to clean house, trust God, and help others. In her words, from her journey, Terry C. will describe just what this means to her. Please help me welcome Terry C. to the line. Welcome, Terry C. And press star one, please. Terry C., would you press star one on your phone keypad? Okay, thank you, Melanie. There we go. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Melanie. Um, Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. I'm so overwhelmed with sentiment and, and emotion right now, but it's it's all my gratitude. Grateful for the for this book. Grateful for everybody who's doing service for the meetings and for today. Thank you, Melanie. Um, and I'm grateful for plagiarism. Boy, this program allows us to copy and plagiarize. So I'll be telling you my story as it's already written in the book. And uh, hoping to share my thoughts on that gap you talked about between ready and entirely ready. Um, after so many years in the program, that whole concept is just uh, really becoming uh, something that I see how it's played in my recovery life and my personal life. And I'm anxious to share with you today um, some of the recent transformations, some of the recent psychic changes that I have had. Um, and all grateful to, to the fellows in this program and to God who speaks to me through the fellows. Um, and I guess 
just want to start with um, from ready to entirely ready. I first thought about that and what it really meant to me. You know, one of the common phrases uh, in real life, in competitive life, where we use ready is ready, set, go. Um, And I think of, you know, uh, swimmers who jump to the plate. I think of runners who who are, you know, at the, you know, getting ready to go to the line. Um, it's it's ready, it's set, and it's go. And and kind of I, I like visualizations thanks to thanks to uh, God who gives them frequently to me through many of my fellows. But I picture, you know, that athlete, that person who's who's gearing up and they go to the line or they go just before the they go on the plate and then that's ready and then they crouch down to sprint or to take off on that dive um, and then go obviously is the action. And for so long uh, in the rooms, I was caught in the turnstile of ready, never crouching down. I was very good at ready. I was very good at getting to the line. Uh, with the grace of God, I stood at the line a long time. So um, with that, uh, just because of my second favorite book is the dictionary, um, ready is, is prepared, equipped, equipped to act immediately. So I love in, in step six being entirely ready. I, I once heard a speaker say, um, someone asked the speaker, well, how can, how can I be entirely ready? Doesn't that mean that I'm, I'm just going to do everything like immediately when I should and I'm, I'm just going to follow through perfectly on, on these steps? And the speaker said something that just stayed with me for a very long time, and I, I even questioned whether I believed it or not. But he said, well, I think it means that we'll just always get more ready. And um, I, I kind of understand that a little bit today. And so with that, um, knowing that ready is prepared, then entirely ready must be completely equipped or repaired. So um, let me just talk a little bit about my journey so that I can talk about getting prepared. You know, my life prepared me for where I am today, uh, to be of maximum service. And uh, I'm just going to kind of share a little bit here that, you know, my preparation spiritually, my concept of God when I was very young was, um, you know, the czar of the heavens, the punishing God. I've heard it a lot in the rooms. I've heard it in the books. Um, and uh, and uh, I was raised a Christian, so, you know, God was somebody that I um, really was afraid of and I really couldn't relate to, and, and I liked Jesus much better. Um, and yet, you know, Jesus was untouchable, and, and it just was a, it was a, it was a religion that, um, you know, just kind of taught me the rituals of, the rituals of, um, it was supposed to be humility, but I didn't get that. I got it as guilt. Um, and uh, as a child, I remember, uh, you know, growing up in a system that wherever there was fear, um, there was there was also anger, and that got trapped inside of me. And, and I had a lot of suppressed emotions And uh, as a child, and, and that's how food eventually became my best friend. Um, and then, you know, I was predisposed to this disease. I had, you know, I had parents who who suffer from this disease. Uh, I lost one of them 
pretty much to this disease, although you won't read it on the death certificate. And food in, in my family and my system was to feed the hurt and definitely to avoid the hurt. That's, that's what it was. So I kind of see how I was predisposed to this, um, you know, to this affliction. Um, I don't even think I qualified in the beginning. And let me go back and just so I can anchor myself. Um, I don't think I started with, uh, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. My name is Terry and I'm from New Jersey. So um, my nerves a little bit. I think I overlooked that important um, tribal ritual that's important to me. So um, I still have euphoric recall about foods in my childhood, even though I didn't lose control with food till a little later on. I have euphoric recall, and I, I shouldn't say I still have it, but I could have euphoric recall about some of the, the safe places and the safe feelings and the, that I had with particular foods. Um, it wasn't until high school and definitely college that I lost pure control with food. Um, Bill tells my story when he says eating was taking an important part in my life. It was assuming, you know, more serious proportions. It definitely assumed more serious proportions in my high school and, and uh, college years. Um, it definitely became a necessity. Uh, I needed to have it to um, to be a part of. I needed to have it to feel normal, ironically. Um, Excess food and, and excess refined carbohydrates were my thing. And, and as I heard a speaker say a long time ago, they scratched my itch. And, you know, to me, fear is the basic itch. Uh, and I always think of, you know, a newborn baby uh, coming out of the mother's womb. That's, to me, when the fear begins. And, you know, if you're predisposed to this disease, you, you don't have a chance. But... um so uh, my emotion in high school and college was, you know, I could really look back on it and see my codependence and my self-loathing. Um, I really began to be the overachiever and the person who wasn't going to let you down. I was not going to let you down because I needed to be important to everyone. And uh, Bill talks about that too, um, you know. He, he, you know, the drive for success is on. Mine came very early. Um, I was only going to let myself down. I would let myself down time and time again with the food, knowing that, you know, I did. I wanted to look like the other girls. I really did want to look like the other people that had normal bodies. Um, but food was my comfort, and I wasn't willing to give that up. Um, I, I look back in college. I. Uh, I was involved in some theatrical productions, and I ended up stage managing a, a very, very big show for the college. It's actually historical in the college archives. And I worked with a director who was an active alcoholic. And I have people that still say to me, I would have never taken the abuse that he gave you. And I look back on it, and I see it for what it is and say, what was I thinking? Why did I think I was worth worthy of that treatment. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. Um, but I was a good sick Al-Anon and I was codependent and uh, that's, my, that's how I coped. That's how I coped. And, you know, I always say as far as my spiritual dilemma, what was going on when I was in college, that's when I was becoming what today some people, well, what, what when it sounds nice, is called a life coach. 
But what I was doing is I was coaching and controlling everyone's life, uh, including my own. Um, and I guess my relationship with God at that point, if I even had one, was, uh, are you there? Are you there? Uh, he couldn't possibly be because, you know, and, and because I could never sense that he was there, I had to play him. So, um, so as far as adulthood goes, uh, the drive for success was definitely on. And I love the part on 61 where we talk about self-seeking, and I always claim the sentence as my own. I was the victim of the delusion that I could rest, and I love that rest is spelled like wrestling because I definitely did wrestle. Rest satisfaction and happiness out of life out of the world if only I managed well. So I just worked harder and harder and harder at it. And, I, you know, I was running my world. I was running your world. Um, I had definitely lost the power of choice when it came to food. My willpower was definitely non-existent. Um, I tried over and over and over again to fight to fight the vicious circle, you know, the vicious cycle. Uh, I couldn't see it at the time, but I I definitely can see it now. I look back and I just say it was a losing battle. I was never going to see it. Um, And the loneliness and despair just got worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, I was never really good at dieting. I tried moderation. I tried restricting. um, I tried diet pills, my personal favorite, um, and the diet and weight loss club. And the truth was, I learned to overeat low-calorie foods. Um, I abused the pills. I got high on restricting. I don't think that would be possible being the overeater that I was, but for a brief time, I got high on restricting. And, and the diet failed because I continued to play God and eat my addictive substances. So that was never going to work. Um, I just repeated the cycle over and over and over again. Um, and I had no remote chance of like change. So I can, I, I certainly know that I, I was without the sense. I was totally without the sense. And, and I kind of look at ready then, you know, I, I was getting ready to die. I, I was standing at the line getting ready to die. I, I was getting ready to crouch down and, and, and go into that black hole. Um, so I guess, um, you know, when I look at, that uh, I was I was eating when I was full. I was eating when I was sick. Um, the truth is, you know, I call it the deer in the headlights scene. Um, I met my husband. His mother was a wonderful baker. I was her best audience. And I remember bringing whatever it is she baked home and having that extra piece and my husband looking at me saying, how can you have a third or a fourth piece? You just had two at my mother's. And just like it says in there at the solution, I had no idea why I took that extra that extra piece than he did. I had no better idea than he did. Um, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I look back on that was a very frequent thing for me. That was a very frequent scene, and then hiding the food from him because he's a normal eater. He doesn't know what it's like. He takes the Oreos and puts the bags away. 
You know, I, I had no concept of that. Um, and then I hit my bottom. I, I really don't want to spend a whole lot of time in the food, on my, my story in the food, but I, I want to talk about how my life got different. Um, and my bottom was in 1991. Uh, my son was born. Uh, I remember that uh, it was a Sunday morning. Um, I knew things were wrong. I, I knew emotionally things were wrong. Couldn't put my finger on it. I was afraid to put my finger on it. But there was a scene, and, and you know, I talked about having that suppressed anger from from childhood. Um, I don't like admitting this, um, but I was a rager. I was a rager, and there was there were times that um, it's embarrass it's embarrassing to look at my behavior then, and it's also I'm so grateful that I. I'm so grateful to have abandoned, um, to have a psychic change that lets me abandon and know that I'm worthy of better behavior and I'm not worthy of more reflection on that behavior. But this morning, this particular morning, my husband and I had had an argument. And I can't even tell you that it was over something critical. I doubt that it was. I don't remember what it was. Um, but when I exploded, and I can't even remember, just know that a pot flew and something else happened. And I stood there and I saw, I can still see my husband holding my newborn son and my husband looking so afraid because he didn't know. He just didn't know what situa- this situation and how to handle it. He didn't. He was probably thinking to himself, what, what am I in for here? We just had a child and there's this crazy person and he was right. He was absolutely right. He was he was closer to the solution than I was when he knew I was insane. Um, and I looked at that scene, and I see my husband in despair, and I see his tear-filled eyes, and I remember going back to the table and finishing my breakfast. And that was my bottom. I just thought, how could I sit here and want this food? I went back to the bar, you know. Bill talks about people jumping out of buildings, talks about, you know, the craziness of Wall Street and what was happening when the stock market crashed. And my life was crashing around me, and I went back to the bar. So I was controlling everything. I I was determined to be perfect and look at the monster I was. Where had been my resolve? It hadn't even come to mind to not to not eat in that moment, that, that terrible moment. Food was definitely my master. I was definitely entirely ready to die. I just didn't know it. I was entirely ready to die. So I was steering my life. I had no idea of God. I had no time for God. I had no knowledge of God. And my ideas were definitely not working. I had, uh, if I look at page 45 and we agnostic, I had neatly evaded and entirely ignored the subject of God. You know, I uh, I didn't realize that could be my solution. I wasn't, there was no way I could even fathom that. And um, I kind of want to, because I, it, it's important for me to talk about the spiritual transformation because it, it, it even is so important in my in the transformation that's happened in my last half a year in the program. Um, I want to tell you about July of 1989. 
and that was before my son was born. And um, and uh, this is not to uh, to uh, reflect or, or go of any place where self-pity exists, but just to kind of tell you how a spiritual seed was planted in my life. Um, I think it's important for me to say here that um, the way that I was raised, I, I always thought that God did to me or for me. The thing that this program has changed and what I've learned from people in the rooms and what I have learned and that I really have a conviction for is my God does through me. And that's what I, that's one of the revelations that has been so pivotal in my, in my recovery. Um, so with that, um, in July of 1989, my husband and I had our first child. She was born before my son. My daughter was born fatally ill, and she died eight days after birth. And the religious person that worked with us, who I had no time for, who I really had no need for at that point, um, in all my shock and all my despair, the last thing I wanted was to speak to someone at the clock. The only thing I kept saying to him, because I wanted him to understand my conflict with his God, because I didn't, couldn't understand. I just said, how could God do this? What kind of God brings an infant in this world to die? What kind of a God does that? And he looked at me one day, and he said, what makes you think God isn't sobbing right now with you? And I truly believe that I was riveted by his response because no one had personalized God before in my life. It just had, they might have, but I hadn't listened. See, that's what it was. I hadn't listened. You know, we're meant to hear what we're meant to hear and we're meant to hear it. And even though I don't have a God that punished me, as I once thought, and I don't have a God today, that flies planes into buildings and causes people to throw bombs into crowds and causes shooters to cause devastating numbers of of killing. That's the day that I believe the seed of the God that I have today was born, was planted. So um, that experience, just again, I bring it up because of the spiritual beginning And I bring it up to also just kind of relay the um, the layers of emotions that I was eating over again and again and again. So now on top of all this fear in my life, I have this grief, right? I have this reason. If food scratched my itch, food was definitely going to be my buddy through some of this grief and remorse. Because I didn't know I had an allergy, Uh, you know, I was emotionally eating to overcome a craving, craving and and I had no idea. Um, I kept, and I kept lying to myself that this life was a life. This is existence. This is death. I was entirely ready. I was getting myself entirely ready to die. I was five one and a half, and I was over two hundred and ten pounds. You know, I'm still five one and a half. Actually, I'm probably a little less than that by now. But um, I was having panic attacks. My knees were creaking. And I can remember my son. I can remember when I had the subsequent pregnancy and the delivery. You know, I, I remember thinking, okay, you son of a bitch, pardon my expression. That's how I felt about God. 
you own it. You own me. And again, I apologize for that for that language, but that just that that really epitomizes where I was with God. That that epitomizes where I was. And so I have this subsequent pregnancy and I am nursing my son. I can remember nursing my son and the only thought in my mind was Please be done. Please be done soon. Please be done soon because my mind was on what was in the kitchen cabinet. You know, I'd love to say it was the story, you know, like the one on TV and in the movies and everywhere else and on the commercials, but it was far from that. It was far from that. And then I was getting panic attacks regularly, and one of them brought me to a therapist who got me to OA. And in OA, I knew something was different. I heard something that kind of made sense, although I didn't want to listen to it. But I heard more of, you know, the vanity. I heard more of the physical program, the tool-based program. Um, and I was in 18 months. This was uh, the summer of 91 after my son was born. I heard um, what some people were doing to feel better and, you know, I always say I, I went to the meeting in my coat of armor. I was working in the corporate sector at the time, and I had my, you know, IBM suit on, and, and I walked in there in my coat of armor, and I, you know, fellows of mine, we joke about it, you know, we're either the it girl or the shit girl, and I was the it girl that night, and and um, something, something made me stay, and I know today it's my higher power. Um, and I, you know, I, for 18 months, I dabbled in some research, how got a little self-knowledge, uh, was definitely not understanding the, the physical craving and the mental obsession, not understanding that at all. But I was going to do what you did, because I was going to do it better, and I always did, right? That's what I did. I was never going to let you down. I was always just going to let myself down. So in March of 93, um, I put down the sugar. I heard this person. I'm also, remember, my codependence has been an asset now because I'm going to do whatever someone tells I was in a way because a therapist told me to get there and he had a PhD and I didn't. So, um, you know, I I got to OA and, I, you know, people said, well, this, this is what they were doing, so I was going to do it better. So, you know, someone said, you know, put all the refined carbohydrates down. It's what you're addicted to. Can't you see? And, you know, when I did that food inventory and I saw the foods I, I couldn't eat normal portions of, it's pretty clear to me. I was, was, you know, fairly intelligent. So zero sugar, zero flour, zero wheat, zero caloric sweeteners. And I was on my way to what? I don't know. I was on my way to um, feeling those feelings. I was on my way to... Um, you know, making meetings the most important part of my recovery. I was just doing a lot of tool-based things. From 93 to 2007, I did a lot of tool-based things. And I got through some of the steps. I actually got through some of the steps. I was clearing the wreckage. Um, you know, I was I was seeing how, you know, uh, I was seeing how, I could learn more about how I got here and maybe prevent myself from getting back. And that's not the whole picture, but at least I got that much. 
And on page 70, this, is, this just strikes me every time I read it, because I was doing fourth step. Hell, I was doing a fourth step every year because I was doing the steps every year because wasn't that the way it was supposed to be? I was supposed to be working the steps. I didn't know what I didn't know, and what I didn't know is, you know, the basics and your basic understanding of them are not all there is. There is so much more. And so when I look at page 70, this is me. This is me. Um, I listed down all my resentments and analyzed them, held them up to the light. I was starting to make amends. I was asking, you know, definitely, I was ready to have God remove things like my rage. I was ready to have God remove things like, you know, my lying, my exaggerating. I was ready. And I was doing these amends and I was doing what people were telling me to do. It says, we've begun to comprehend their futility. I saw that they were really, they were really messing me up. These, these defects and some of these things that I was doing were really horrible. But the rest of that says, end their fatality. And I didn't see that. I didn't see that if I didn't work some of these steps the way they were meant to be worked, particularly 10, 11, and 12, end their fatality. I see that so much better now. I, if I wasn't, if I wasn't working six and seven, you know, there's, you know, six and seven to me are part of, of, of every day. You know, if I'm doing that nightly review and I'm seeing what's going on and they're cropping up again and again and again, I'm not going to make them go away. There's certain things I have to do. I'm not going to get rid of them. I have to ask God to help us get rid of them. I have to. And and have to be ready to let him do it. So, um, just check my time here. Okay. So, um, I'm working the steps yearly. It's life still on my terms. I'm policing your food. I'm policing my food. I think I'm being the right kind of sponsor. Um, you know, it was different, but it's still centered on me. I wasn't going to let you down. The drive for success was on. I was going to be the poster child of OA, but I was still judging you. I was still judging you. And after 14 years of doing the steps every year, uh, I still had to, I still had the food plan going: zero sugar, zero flour, zero wheat, zero caloric sweeteners. I was sniffing the bagel back. I was obsessing about the food I was buying for my family, who were civilians, normal eaters. And then I would have them eat it, and I'd say, what does it taste like? That's not normal behavior. That's food obsession. I was definitely reacting to legs, and I was definitely exhibiting obsessive behavior with people, places, and things. And we're not going to go down that road. We'll never find our way back. But if you want to talk about that, please give me a call. I'll leave my number after the meeting. So uh, in 2007, a very dear fellow of mine in the program who I've walked these same steps with, the ones that I'm talking about now, who kind of was having the same experience I was having, talked about uh, this big book step study in 2007. And uh, I don't know if people are familiar with what's called the Hannes Method, but that's what they were practicing. And uh, it was an AA, and we were going to the meetings, and we were, we were kind of relearning the, the steps. But the main step we were relearning
I had never truly done the turnarounds. I had never really looked at truly my part in it. So by studying the book with this group, I was able to see my part and some of the things that were happening again and again and again. I was wondering why this, you know, particular resentments happened to repeat themselves, even though I wanted to masquerade it on my fourth step. The main thing I saw was how self-importance ran my life. It ran my ideas, it ran my attitudes, and it steered my conviction. I wanted the world to think I was important. I wanted to be adored. I wanted that feeling. And if you didn't give me that feeling, I resented you. So they began to see that others do their best, that I couldn't judge everyone's behavior based on my needs and wants. And I really, for the first time, did step four as it was outlined in the book. I became ready, as they say, to drop the rock. You know, that rock of of all those attitudes and convictions that were stopping me from growing spiritually. Um, my my heart was softened, and I, you know, I, I was at the line. I was definitely at the line. I was definitely at the line. I was ready to crouch down. I was ready to get into that sprint position. But I couldn't see the daily process. I couldn't see the daily practice of these steps. I just it, I just didn't get that message then. For whatever reason, I was blocked from that message. I I kind of understood. I, I had a lot more self knowledge. Um, you know, uh, it, you know what eluded me is I failed to enlarge my spiritual life. I, I just couldn't see it. You know, and uh, for six years, I was getting high on this knowledge that I had. Uh, I was trying to share it. I was, I was trying to emphasize it in everything I did. But I know that I wasn't growing spiritually. I was, I was, um, you know, I was making calls. I was going to meetings. I was sponsoring. I was sharing this over and over again. I was encouraging people to do the turnaround, do the turnaround. You know, you'll see so much. I was doing the work, but I didn't understand my purpose. And the work that I was doing was, again, being caught in a turnstile, being caught in a turnstile ready. You know, not really entirely ready, maybe entirely ready, but kind of, you know, just in between. I was, you know, it's just at the line. So I always say God has been gentle with me, but maybe I've just been so deaf and blind, you know, and and maybe he's not been gentle. I've just been so deaf and blind that it just took me long to get to where I was supposed to be. So in uh, 2013 now, six years later, um, I'm, I'm still knowing something's missing. I just know it. And I, with the grace of God, I have been asking it because I'm going to do that perfectly. I can't tell you I was asking it for the right reasons. I'd love to tell you I was. Um, and some of us became rote, you know, I just did it. Um, and uh, I didn't have a desire. You know, I used to, my therapist said relapse was a state of mind. Um, I wasn't going spiritually. I was I had this communication but I didn't have communion with God. And I see that as a difference. You know, communication is that 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 that, that, that those two heads going back and forth, you know. But communion is truly, truly absorbing what what the other person is saying or communicating and truly, you know, kind of um uh, personalizing it. I don't think that was happening. 
So I'm still, I, I joined this group called Back to the 40s now because, you know, something's missing. I'm going to go for the next steps in the room. And we're studying the steps as outlined in the book and, and how they were taught and discussed in the 40s. And um, this is, it was a very, very helpful part of where I am today, very, very helpful tool for where I am today. I really began to hear for the first time what my purpose was. I really understood that I was supposed to be of maximum service to you, not to me. And that was a big revelation. Um, and to carry the message, uh, you know, I really believed only God could, could remove my shortcomings. I was powerless over people, places, and things. I really got to see that. Um, I was meant to do these steps. Uh, as outlined in the book, and so was everybody else. Um, you know, I kind of started with these convictions. Um, God's consciousness yeah, was starting. I was kind of crouching down for it. Um, but I was never going to get in that position, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I didn't know what I didn't know. I listened to a vision for you. I had this prayer list. I did this. You know, read 84 to 88 every day. Um, I was doing this recipe. I was doing this recipe, and I was doing it over and over and over again. And I didn't get that there was a daily way. There was a daily practice for trusting God, cleaning house, and helping others. I didn't know what I didn't know, and I was working with people who, like me, didn't know it. Uh, and that, you know, and, and, and that's the only reason I bring that up is, some of us are well-intentioned, and we, and we hang with our fellows, and, and we learn what they know, but if we only hang with the same fellows, we're only going to know what they know. And I realized today that that's why my network has to be, you know, it has to grow with my spiritual life. Um, I was discounting the disturbances, as one of my dear fellows in the program pointed out to me. I was discounting them. I was, I was experiencing, you know, when I was disappointed in you or my son or my daughter or my husband, I was I was taking that disturbance and I would do my little report card at night and, and literally at night. Like I didn't do a tenth step during the day. I didn't know when I was truly jammed up what to do with it. I was doing that little report card at night and I was checking off like, Oh, that wasn't good. Oh, yeah, we shouldn't do that anymore. Oh, nope, not a good grade on that. But I was just reviewing. I wasn't that God consciousness wasn't there, you know. I believe in the book when it says we have to go further we really have to understand the corrective measures. We really have to understand how to make that plan for the day and divorce the thought that got us into trouble the day before. So I was, you know, self-sacrifice definitely eluded me, definitely eluded me. I had the knowledge to share, but there was no way I could be understanding and effective because I, I just didn't get that. So now coming full circle, um, I had the recognition. I had lots of recognition. Um, I told myself I was living in 10, 11, and 12, but I wasn't living 10, 11, and 12. I was doing what I thought was the practice of living in them. So I think about Jim, who's my favorite person in the big book. And he was my favorite person for so many reasons. And Jim and more about alcoholism, if you recall, is the guy who had the rupert of an automobile agency, and he goes and he ends up working for someone else. And the story that we hear in the book is that he decides 
one day to take a drive out into the country. But he lets us know beforehand he had some words, some exchange with the boss that probably didn't go his way. Now, I was Jim. When I think about what I did as Jim, when I lost that lucrative automobile agency and I end up having to work for somebody that, you know, that now owns the business that I own, wow, for me, that would have been a whole lot, a whole lot of networking, a whole lot of tent-stepping, a whole lot of sharing, a whole lot of exchanging, a whole lot of service, a lot to get through that, a lot to get through that. And I don't know whether Jim did that, but I think by the chances in the book where he really only got to step three, it seems to me, but he probably didn't. And then he decides to drive out into the country where we know he's going to make, he's, he's you know, he's going to, just succumb again to the physical craving, mental obsession, and and I, I would have probably today known that I need to question myself on decisions like that. I need to discuss that with someone else when I know I'm gonna, you know, take a risk like that for me. I don't know, especially if I'm not in a good place. You know, the exchange with the boss. I would have been texting somebody. I would have been calling somebody. You know, hey, just had this. You know, here's where here's where I'm resentful. Here's where here's my dishonesty. That's today the difference. You know, I look at Jim and I just say, you know, before I got to the whiskey and the milk, there was a whole lot of work that had to be done. And I just get the feeling when I read that story, Jim. Uh, unfortunately, at Jim's expense, I just learned so much about what's involved. So here I am in summer of last year, and I just know that I am constantly disappointed in people. And I'm working this program, and I think I'm living in 10, 11, and 12, but I'm being, you're disappointing me over and over again, whether I work with you, I live with you, I talk to you, you're disappointing me. And I realize, like, wait a minute, my maximum purpose is to be of service to God and fellow man. I'm doing a crappy job, doing a really crappy job. So I have all this recognition. I'm occasionally crouching down. And I don't know what I don't know because I don't know the proper way to work 10, 11, and 12. And when I finally reach out to somebody and I say, help me, because last night when I was cleaning the dinner dishes, I thought about having salad. I was cleaning out of my husband's dinner plate, and I did not want to go there. I did not want to go there. And for whatever my virtues and values and everything are that caused me not to want to go there, I'm just so grateful that I made the call the next day. And that person lovingly took me back to the book. And after 23 years of abstaining, the compulsion was not lifted. It wasn't lifted. So it doesn't matter if you have two years or 23 years. The compulsion to eat that food, you know, even if it was absent, it was salad. The compulsion was there. So I just want to kind of come down the home stretch here by saying, you know, the person lovingly took me through the book and really helped me understand how to apply all of it to now. You know, I would listen to Vision for You. It sounded wonderful. Everyone sounded wonderful. I, you know, I was intimidated by, and I say this lovingly, the prophets, people who really give messages that I, that I just, you know, I so identify with and, and so help me with my recovery. But I really study and reflection of what was actually in the book didn't really happen for me truly from 1 to 164. It did not happen to me. 
till the, the most recent month. And, you know, it made sense. This spiritual stuff made sense. It's like the guy on 159. I listened to what you had to say, and the spiritual stuff you talk about makes sense, and I was ready to do business. There's another ready, page 159. I was ready to do business. I was ready to get in that position in lunch. I am so ready. I am entirely ready. Um, you know, ready, set, go. I feel like that, that has been kind of my mental, my visualization of, of where I am. Um, truly learning what self-sacrifice means and how working with others is a mutually beneficial experience. No matter what. No matter who gets well and who doesn't. It's, it's just, it's, it's all God's world. Um, really understanding how the fellowship is meant to be a true fellowship. As I said, I was working with the same people from my home group, loving people, people who I love dearly in the program, and we were all helping each other. You know, we were helping each other eat the same message. Well, if we're all eating the same message, and the message only goes so far, we're just having double helpings of that message. I, I had to go spiritually. I'm seeing how my usefulness to God can actually... I can actually be useful for, to God when, when, a, when a defect's not removed, when it's unremoved. I had to have a fellow remind me a couple of weeks ago, you know, if that defect's coming up again and again and again and I'm sharing it, I could be helping somebody else. Maybe that's the purpose until God wants it to, wants it to be, you know, wants it to be removed. doesn't mean my behavior should continue to be awful or not in line or not in good orderly direction. It just means that I, I can't have what I want when I want it because maybe God wants it a different way. Um, you know, continue to discuss those disturbances. Continue to identify them. Continue to learn from them. Continue to see my part. Continue to see how I can change, how I can, you know, how I can actually step outside myself and do something I don't want to do to keep learning. Um, I guess I, I want to talk about just a recent experience and, and then kind of wrap it up. Um, I work in a I work in a field where um, I'm a consultant and they're a client, and so I have a, a client that we recently attained that I am the project manager for, and um, she's a 38 year old wonderful person, and she is trying. I know her because I am her. She is trying to do everything perfectly. She is trying to bag millions of successes as quickly as she can without regard for other people or support or substance. I've been there. I know her. And uh, it gets very trying and challenging to manage these projects. Um, and it was coming up on my list a lot. You know, I was, that was, you know my, night, my reviews and my test steps were kind of going back to things that were, you know, um, just resentments and dishonesties about, you know, not being able to to kind of get through a day sometimes without seeing that, you know, without having, being disturbed and disappointed that she wasn't following my script, that she was continually challenging me, that she was continually adding new projects when we barely finished the first 10. And finally, in doing the work, and really examining what was happening and knowing that I have the same qualities, I understand her and, and that's part of it, is I, I looked 
And I prayed for her, and I prayed for her, and I prayed for, I, I asked myself what God would tell her through a bunch of different exercises that fellows in the room helped me with. And the bottom line is, I knew that God would say, stop trying so hard and know that you are loved. He would just want her to know that she is loved. And I realized that I needed to heed that message, that God was telling that to me, that I had to go through all of this sense-step work and all of even a little bit of four-step work to understand that that's what God was telling me. I can't change her. I can't change the situation. This is my work. I'm grateful to have a job. I'm grateful for all that I learned at work and, and, and with clients like her. But all God wants me to do is know that I'm loved. And once I know that, and once I have that God consciousness, everything is tolerable. It certainly still gets heated. It certainly still gets frustrating. But I was just so grateful. I was doing all this work on what I thought was another person, and the bottom line was I needed to heed the message for myself. So the last thing that I'd like to close with is um, that I am entirely ready, that it's it's been a long long road, a long journey to be entirely ready. Um, And I I feel like I didn't talk a lot about six and seven um, enough. I kind of wanted to, but um, I'll just finish with this. On page 76 in step six, are we now ready to let God, to let God, to me that's the emphasis today, you know, to let God, not to do it myself, not not to expect you to tell me how to do it, to let God through all the different tools and all of all of the different, you know, um, the spiritual toolkit that's been laid at our feet. Are we willing to let? Am I willing to let God work with me to to have me be the person He intended to me, me to be? And today, I just pray that my response to that will continue to be yes. I'm entirely ready. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Terry, for your presentation today. You gave so much of yourself. Thank you again for that wonderful, wonderful journey to being entirely ready. We will get your contact information at the conclusion of the recording today, but for now, we can open up the lines for questions regarding the topic today, which is from ready to entirely ready. Who would like to ask Terry a question this morning? Jamie W. San Diego. Hi, Jamie W. Hang on just a second here. We'll see if there's anyone else that's coming up. Anybody else would be interested in asking Terry C. a question this morning? Press star one on your phone keypad. Good morning, Melanie. This is Mary Lee in Oregon. I have a question. Hi, Mary Lee. Excellent. Thank you so much. Let's, uh, if you could stand by for just a moment, Mary Lee. We'll start with Jamie W. this morning. Hi, Jamie. Go ahead with your question. Thank you. Jamie W. San Diego. I appreciate your service, Melanie C., and thank you so much for a um, wonderful presentation, Terry C. Okay, my question. When you said that um, you cannot base your behavior on others' needs and wants, can you elaborate on what you and maybe what steps helped you out with that? Okay, I'm having a little trouble hearing you, Jamie, but I think you said, can I elaborate 
on not blaming others for my behavior. Is that correct? And what step I used when I practice for that? Saying that um, you've mentioned that you cannot base your behavior on what others' needs and wants are, and I wondered if you can elaborate elaborate on that. What you mean by that, and what okay. step helps you with that? Okay. Uh, did you say base my behavior? Because I am still having a little trouble hearing. I can't base my behavior. I think that's what you're saying. Um, okay. Let me, Terry. Terry, I can just say too to to assure you that yeah, her sis cannot base. She heard you say that you cannot base your behavior on others' okay. needs okay. and wants. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess when I say that, I you know today it's God's it's God's opinion. I need to worry about it's it's you know being understanding and effectiveness only happens with my God consciousness. So I have to be worried about, first of all, what God would have me be. Um, when I, let's see, let me if I, see if I can think of an example behavior-wise. Um, yesterday, my daughter um, got very upset with my husband about making a remark about something she posted on social media. And there was a family argument and uh, my voice raised and some things happened and I realized that I could see my husband's part and I could see my daughter's part. Um, and I really wanted to, you know, I really wanted to lay into my daughter about something she said disrespectful to my husband. And then I realized, I said a quick prayer and realized, you know, first of all, God wanted me to bow out and let them settle their differences the main thing he wanted me to do was to love both of them and realize that I had to respect the boundaries. This was not something I was involved with. And I don't know if that's helping me understand, but I, I guess the step that I used is, you know, step two, I believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity because I was definitely losing my sanity at that moment. And um, I always say, you know, the people that talk about the food thoughts, and I always say, there are people, I've had a lot of calls lately, people calling about wanting to eat and doing their fourth step. And I just, I have a certain feeling about that I'd like to elaborate on, but let me just say the short version is we got to put God in between those thoughts of what we want to do or think we're going to do that's not in our best interest. Uh, we got to put God before that thought. And, and, it, and it, it takes practice and it takes working these steps the way they're meant to be worked. But I guess if anything, I have to talk about no, I was powerless all three steps. I was powerless over my daughter's behavior yesterday and my husband's reaction and what was happening. I really brought God into it, and then I made a decision to turn them both over to their own indwelling God. And um, I hope that's helpful. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Jamie, for the question. Thank you, Terry, for the response. Mary Lee, press star one. What's your question? Good morning, this is Mary Lee in Eugene, Oregon, in recovery for today. You kind of answered my question, but I'd like to know if you could elaborate on when you make the statement, um, what would God have you do or what would God have you be, how does that play out for you? Thank you. Sure. Um, and yeah, and I'd be willing to talk further with Jamie or anyone else that uh, wants to talk more about these responses. Um, Mary Lee, but the first thing that comes to my mind is 
when I review my day or I'm reviewing what's happening when, you know, I'm disturbed about something and I bring it through and I, I realize that uh, usually inevitably there's a fear at the base of it or there's a fear entwined with it. Um, I go to that page that tells us, you know, the fear, the fear page in the fourth step and it says, what would God have me be? Um, you know, a, a fear, you know, I had a fear of just traveling with a friend of mine and uh, I had this, this regular fear and it was, you know, she was just, she was just constantly, it seemed like she was moody and disturbed and she was constantly finding fault with some things I was doing and, and I was constantly fearful. Of, it was hitting my core issue of being trapped and victimized because I know that I knew that I was in a good place and I didn't think things were going that badly. So um, when I take it through the way the book tells me to take it through and I turn that fear over and I ask God what he would have me be instead, um, I had to pray for her and I had to look at some of the issues going on in her life and 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 and, and pray for her and, and pray for me and start and see the good. I know that's what he wanted me to do, see the good, not focus on the moodiness that was going on. There were some good things going on. But I had to kind of, you know, take it to to exactly when we do those turnarounds, what, you know, fears involved and what would God have me be instead? What would he have me do? And I, I almost do that regularly. Whenever I do my review um, and I share that with a buddy always, um, I'm always, I, I need, for me, I need to take that fear and I need to say, okay, what would God have me do instead? And inevitably, inevitably, it's, it's working 10, 11, and 12. Trust in him. Keep my house clean and keep helping others getting out of myself. I hope that's helpful, but I'd be glad to talk more if you want privately. Thank you so much. Thank you, Meredith, for the question, and thank you, Terry, for the answer to that. Would anyone else like to ask a question of Terry C. today? Judy B. Judy B. from Massachusetts. Hi, Judy B. Marjorie, Judy B., anyone else? Hi, Anne-Marie. Good morning to you. I got to you. Anybody else? Lois from New York. Hi, Lois from New York. Anybody else? Leslie W. Leslie W. Anyone else? Very good. Nice lineup. Nice lineup. That's great. Hi, Marjorie. You go first. Marjorie G. It's Marjorie G. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And thank you, Terry. Good morning. When you encounter the people now in your recovered life, and they are the same people that were part of your pre-recovered OA life, how do you conduct yourself? Well, uh, thanks, Marjorie, I guess. It's almost the same people. It's, it's no one new, really. I mean, I can't think of, you know. Um, well, I'll give you an example. Um, I had a boss, uh, my mentor, deep in, and I was deep into my addiction. I hadn't even gotten into OA yet. Um, deep into my addiction, and I can recall uh, being traveling with him, doing different things, and having panic attacks, like, you know, being so anxious. So, you know, just fearful, just fearful all the time. Um, And recently on a phone call, uh, I said to him, 
I kind of made an amends to him for that. And not, not that I owed him an amends, but I just said, you know, uh, I really regret that I was never, like, present for some of the, you know, some of the experiences that we had. We traveled, you know, and that sort of thing. And he, he's a very good friend, very honorable man. Um, you know, that I wasn't really present for some of that. And, and I guess the main thing that comes to mind is my honesty. You know, today I realize that I never thought I was lovable. Therefore, I couldn't be myself. I couldn't be the person who was, you know, who showed you my underbelly, who showed you that I'm really a person, like especially people I work with, you know. I'm really a person. I have fears and I have, you know, trepidations and I have joy and and so today, honesty probably is the most important thing. And then, uh, and I just realized that so, when I had So, that Terry, let me, let me just clarify the question. I'm asking specifically about the OA people. Is, is what you're saying okay. the way you behave now towards your former OA colleagues? Well, most of my OA colleagues are people who are um, kind of going through some of the same things I'm going through. I had a, I had a wonderful sponsor for years and years and years who was up right around the time that I was, you know, last summer when I was realizing the compulsion was not lifted, that terrible things were going wrong. Um, there's been people in OA I've had to make amends to because remember I talked about being a food police and I talked about, you know, um, you know, I, I wanted them to do the program the way that if they weren't getting well, that was a reflection on me. So I gave, you know, wreaked havoc with them. How I how I deal with some of those people again is my honesty. I've had to I've had to come clean and I've had to say not, you know, nothing about where they're at with their program, but where I'm at and the fact that I've learned that that was not constructive for them. It was not constructive for me. It was not God consciousness. It was Terry consciousness. And um, and I've had to, in a lot of respects, I've had to let people go, you know, because I've had people that say, oh, oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. Will you sponsor me again? And then they want to be sponsored the way that a tool-based program sponsors them, and, and that's, I can't do that. That's just not going to help them, and it's, it's certainly not going to be constructive for my program. So I don't know if that's helpful, but I guess, honestly, you know, my my behavior with them is being honest and forthright and, uh, you know, and, and, and being fair and truthful because uh, I can't, I can't just police somebody's food. That's, that's, the book doesn't tell me to do that. It doesn't tell me to do that. So I, I hope that's helpful, but I, I would definitely welcome a call if I can elaborate on that more for you. Thanks, Terry. That's most helpful, and I apologize for the for interrupting you. No, no, thank you, thank you, thank you, Marjorie, for your question and response. Judy B, your question, please. Star one, Judy B. Hi, this is Judy B from Massachusetts. Hi, can you Dan. hear me? I sure can. Okay. Um, Thank you, Melanie, for your service, and thank you, Terry, for such a beautiful spiritual share. Um, I'd just like to say that you've touched my heart in a way I can hardly explain, 
I'd like you to elaborate a little bit more on uh, what you said about communicating with God is different from communion with God. Because I look at that communion with God as as so much a part of my step 11, and I just think it, it's a beautiful difference that you've described. Mm-hmm. Sure, thanks. I, I'd love to talk about that. Um, you know, ironically, I was a communications major in college, so I saw these this figure of these two heads constantly because it talks about, you know, when people communicate, they have an exchange, the message goes to one head, comes back from the other head, and it's like this back and forth. And um, I kind of visualize that now, and I realize that that's an exchange, but it's not an absorption for me. I I think of communion as God consciousness, you know, when my, you know, buddy said a few weeks ago, hey, maybe that defect's not getting removed because God wants you to help somebody else with that until, you know, his work is done. Maybe that's how that's going to work. Um, what she said specifically to me is, are you willing to accept God's timetable for having that defect removed? And that, you know, that communion, when she spoke to me, I know it was God, and I had to absorb the fact that he was saying, are you really putting me in charge? Have you really turned your life and your will over to me? And that's a much deeper understanding and perception and and uh, grasp of the message. And to me, that then communion just is a word that just helps me see the, the, the deeper part of that exchange, the perceptions ingrained in me, you know, that there's something that comes up from my soul that makes me, you know, interpret it that way, interpret the message that way. And I consider that my communion, my God consciousness coming to light. I hope that example is helpful. Thank you very much. That was very helpful. Thank you, Judy B. Uh, Anne-Marie M., you're next. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for your service. And and Terry, thank you so very much. I identify quite a bit with what you had to say. Um, When when you do your 10 steps during the day, um, I heard you say that you ask God... um, to remove it, and that's one thing I forget to do. I often just dial the phone. Um, do you call, if you, if you feel like you've been relieved of that resentment or whatever has been bothering you, do you still call someone? And if you um, would, if you could, give me an example of how you how you do a 10-step. Sure, thank you. Yes, that's, that's actually changed for me in the last few months, um, with the grace of God in this program, reaching out last summer to that fellow was just, you know, always be grateful, always be grateful that it changed the way that I work 10, 11, and 12. Um, I know today, I know today that if I walk out of, I'm in my bedroom right now, if I walk out of my bedroom and I walk into a situation where one of my kids, might my grown children actually, but uh, they're both in the house today. But if I walk out and there's something they do that disturbs me or, uh, and I'm not talking, you know, like, you know, leave the milk out kind of thing. I'm talking about something much deeper than that. Um, if, or I go walk out and my husband's put that bathroom fan up that I know sounds like a lawnmower. Um, you know, 
I can't sit with those things. If I if I allow it, if I haven't if I haven't used you know my program and I I'm not in the right place and I and it, and it jams me up and I start to get this resentment or this disturbance or whatever, I can't let that sit. I know today that I can't let that sit. And sometimes I don't know it till an hour later and I realize, like, wow, I, I'm really not letting go of this. So I need to do that 10-step call, that text. And, you know, I'm grateful for phones, even though, you know, I can't say. I, I use more. I text more now than I ever have before, but mainly because of the 10th step and the 11th step. So I have to text and I have to kind of, and when I do that, it's like a meeting because the, no one's cross-talking. I'm texting and I'm sharing exactly what I need to say about my part. I'm looking at my resentments, my dishonesty. I'm looking at my fear. I'm looking at myself speaking and I'm telling somebody what it is. And then I always make it a point at the end of that, I have to tell, I have to say what, you know, the bottom line with me is I don't want to be wrong. I always want to be right. I don't want to be wrong. And my fear inevitably leads to my fear of being wrong. So I need to call myself on that. And I always have to end with what is it that I know? What is the truth about this? So that's one thing I need to share. And then I got on the uh, te- I got on a 10 and 11 step train. And the reason I did that was it's not for everybody, but I needed the discipline. You know, I learned last summer I was not working a step properly and I didn't have the discipline that I needed to work it properly. And I purposely jumped on the train when I heard there was something that could help me with that. I don't know how long I'll be on the train. I just know that today... I hook up with somebody every two weeks, and again, I need to expand my network, so it's a, an expanded network of folks. And I, even if I've done that 10 step by texting someone, I share with that person who I talk with daily my review of that, that episode and what I learned from it or what I can share about it, and, and just to be sure I'm rid of it, you know? So, um, and and that's been very helpful to me. I. I worked, I texted somebody a 10th step late last night that I will be repeating to my buddy when I talk to her at 1230 today. So um, I hope that's helpful and be happy to talk to you more about that uh, offline. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Lois from New York, you're next. Hi, good morning, good morning. Uh, thank you both uh, for your service. I'm fairly new to um, a vision for you, and I have a question about being entirely ready. Does that mean adhering to a very strict um, food plan that, um, you know, that, that has to be pretty much set in stone? Is that part of being entirely ready? I would appreciate your, your, um, your guidance on that. Thank you. Sure. Um, when I think of the first step, which is admitting our powerlessness over food and that our life has become unmanageable, um, even though entirely ready is actually a phrase from the sixth step, to answer your question, when I think of step one, admitting that I'm powerless over food and that my life has become unmanageable, when I look at fact that I truly was a food addict. I truly am a compulsive reader. I have this disease of food addiction. The book tells me I have to be cleared before I can 
get the benefit of this spiritual toolkit before I can have this connection with God. So for me, step one, it kind of implied that I had to be ready to do something about being powerless over food. I didn't want to keep overeating. I didn't want to have that food fog and that brain that, you know, kind of tells me that vicious cycle we learn about in the doctor's opinion, physical craving, mental obsession. Um, For me, it doesn't necessarily, your question was, does it mean that? Well, I don't know whether it means that for everybody else, but for me, yes, it could mean that. I had to be ready. I had to be entirely ready to put down my drug of choice. And the food plan gets interpreted however I think my food plan should be. That's that's autonomous. Um, and there's many people who are on the phone, including myself, who would be able to talk about what my path was in that direction. I think I talked to you about the fact that, you know, I did zero this, zero that, zero, 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 because I happened to be codependent and somebody told me that was what I should do and I was absolutely going to do it. So um, we'll just wrap it up by saying um, step one doesn't say entirely ready, but for me, I, I translate that as if I know I'm powerless over these things and make my life unmanageable, and it tells me that I'm not, you know, that I have to be cleared, my brain has to be cleared before I can get the benefits and rewards of this program, and that's what I was entirely ready to do. And that, um, I think I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lois, for the question. Thank you, Lois, for the question. Leslie W., your question, please. Hi, this is Leslie W., recovered in Tennessee. Uh, Terry, thank you so much for your service. My question is, um, what was the turning point for you in terms of, and if this is redundant, I apologize, but the turning point for you in terms of realizing that your recovery was lacking that crucial component of enlarging your spiritual life. And what, what actions did you take to change that once you realized it? Thanks. Thanks, Leslie. That's probably the one that's freshest in my mind, that turning point. And I'm, I'm going to assume you mean this conviction I have now that's living in 10, 11, and 12 and truly living yes. 10, 11, and 12. Okay. Um, well, you know, I don't think anything is a, is an event. I think everything is a process. And when I look on the last few years before last summer, um, I wasn't I wasn't relieving myself of my obsession with people, places, and things. You know, I was allowing resentments and disturbances to fester. I didn't think so because I, you know, I did. I did all the things in the morning. My morning ritual was with God. I prayed. I meditated. I had prayer lists. I read 84 to 88. I listened to Vision for You. I didn't think, I didn't think that I was, you know, that, that I was building up resentments. I didn't think that I was, you know, building up again this, um, this, uh, resistance to God consciousness. And then what, what made it real apparent was I didn't feel loving. I really didn't, and not that, you know, I hated everything or everyone, but for a person who was doing what I was doing and listening to to people on vision who sounded like they were happy, who sounded like they weren't as disturbed as I was, I just, I just wasn't in a place where I felt a lot of love going on as much as I knew that I had every reason to have it. 
And I think I mentioned that episode with the food, cleaning off my husband's dinner plate with salad, and I was ready to eat it. It wasn't my food. That was a real, that was sobering. It was really sobering. And, you know, for those who are on the line who are trying to get abstinent from their, their addictive substances, obsession with food is obsession with food. It's whether it's those substances or not. It's like, you know, it's in my head. It's in my head. So that was a real turning point for me and just realizing, wait, you know, if my maximum purpose is to be of service to God and fellow man, how am I being of service when I'm sitting here soured by something that happened three weeks ago? Or I, I couldn't even see that. I just was soured, you know? Uh, and I knew God consciousness was sweet. I knew it was sweet. I knew that. Thank God I knew that. And I hope that explains it. Um, I hope that explains it. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Leslie, for the question. Terry C., um, are you available? Do you have more time for me to invite an, another group of folks to ask questions of you? Yes, thank you. Okay, good. Thank you. Thanks so much. So I'm going to open it up. Who else would like to ask Terry C. a question about the topic today, which is from ready to entirely ready? Anyone else? Hi, Shoshana K. Jenny Jenny S. Jenny S. And Jenny S. Libby E. Hi, Libby E. Gladys S. Hi, Gladys. Gladys S. And anyone else? Wonderful. Okay, let's start with Shoshana. Shoshana K. Your question, please. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for your service, everybody. And, um, I was um, come, came in late, so I just want to apologize, but I was um, honing in on the 11th step, what you were saying about quiet time, and I'm finding that I'm having a hard time sitting still to just be still with some quiet time in that regard. Um, what's your uh, opinion on that, how to build that up? Um, I've I love this program, right? Everything's plagiarized and copied, so I'm not sharing anything that's my idea. I got that. I got these ideas from you, from the people in the room. But um, breathing is really important for me when I find that my mind can't be still. And I have a little, I have a favorite prayer, be still, be in the moment, and trust God. And that helps me just by using the word still. Um and, I mean, even Bill W. had, you know, breathing exercises to center himself. You know, he talks about it. And uh, I find that, like, really important. And I, even though I can't advocate a tool-based program, writing is something for God's consciousness that I do because I do prayers with writing and I do reverse prayer with writing. I, you know, God speaks to me through writing, and, and then I imagine what God would have me say. When I'm focused on that writing, I can't be any place else but that writing. So um, these are some of the things. But, but I know what you mean in that quieting the mind is difficult, but I find when I focus on God and I breathe, and someone just shared with me yesterday, um, breathing in God in the inhale and exhaling self in the exhale. And uh, that was also something that I thought, hmm, I'm going to have to put that in my bag. Um, so I, those are just a couple of the quick things I can think about. But um, 
be happy to talk to you offline more about that too. Thank you so much. So helpful. Great. Thank you, Shoshana. Ginny S., your question, please. Yes, thank you. Um, and you already spoke a little bit about this, but I was wondering if you could elaborate more. Um, I recently had a sponsee that picked up after she began Step 4, and um, and I know you said that you've recently been talking to a lot of people that have been in that situation, and I'm wondering if you can elaborate more on um, on what you would say to someone. Sure. Um, this is my personal feeling about it, uh, my personal thoughts about it, so it's just my opinion. It seems to me that, and, I, and I, yeah, I, I've talked to at least three people in the last week who are picking up or thinking about picking up in step four. And the only thing I, for me that I, I've always said, if you're in trouble with a step, go back to the one before. Um, and obviously, you know, we, we all know we're going to get taken back to step one if we go back in the food. But I just think that we get in this process and we're so intent on getting through the process and that we're in step four and often maybe we're neglecting what one, two, and three have told us, you know. Um, maybe we're so focused on getting through this process to get to the other side that we're trying so focused to make traction that we're forgetting the steps we took literally before them. Because what does one tell us? We're powerless over food. We're powerless over it. It's going to want to win us back, but we're powerless over it. And that only God can restore our sanity from this, these insane thoughts, right? The insane idea is going to win out if we don't remember what the defense is. And defense is making the decision to turn it all over to him, turn it over to God or whoever your God happens to be or your higher power. So my, my basic answer to that is, I think we might be forgetting what we've learned when we're at the fourth step and food is taunting and haunting us. Um, I, that's my personal feeling about it, and I just encourage people, don't, don't wait to get to that point in the fourth step where the food is calling. As soon as you have in the fourth step any of those lurking notions or you have that, you know, that, that squirreliness, make sure you're on to those thoughts and those convictions and those recognitions and those admissions you made in first step. Two and one, two and three, and that's that's really what what's been coming to mind. So thanks for letting me answer that. Thank you, thank you. That helps. Thanks, Jenny S. Libby E. Your question, please. Thanks, Melanie. I'm Libby E. Recovered compulsive eater in New York. Um, thank you, Terry, so much. I love the humility I heard throughout your share, and I'm wondering, being around in these rooms many years. How do you hold on to that humility? Thank you. Thank you. Um, hmm. <laughs> I like to call it being right size. Um, I had to do it getting on this call this morning. You know, I, I, I'm being asked to share my story. Um, I'm not being asked to be the expert, but there's a voice inside my head that wants to tell me that, right? My addict mind wants to tell me how important I am and how important I want to be. Um, so for me, it just always boils down to the fact that um, I'm just another schmuck on the bus. I, uh, I did, you know, we're all abstinent on this call right now. I learned, I learned that early in the program. At least it seems like we would be. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a 
ahead of anybody else. But, you know, it, it's just like we we get to experience after the fourth and fifth step that we're on mutual ground with people. I just always have to remember whether it's the person I work for or it's, you know, the person I work with, whether it's, you know, uh, certain people in my life who seem to, you know, have more control of finances or whatever the case may be, we're still all breathing the same air. We're all exhaling the same breath. And when it boils down to it, in my head, we all have, you know, we all have the fundamental concept of God inside us. And my God isn't any better than your God, even if we don't have the same understanding of who God is. It's just important for me to remember we all have a God. And that's always helpful to me. And that's really helpful to me uh, with my family and friends and people who make their way to my 10th step list. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Libby E. Anyone else with a question for Terry this morning before we wrap up? We could probably take one more. Gladys maybe two. Gladys oh, that's Hill. right, Gladys. That's my apologies to you. Thank you, Gladys. You are there. Hi, Gladys. What's your question, please? Uh, hi, my name is Gladys. I um, I remember you did touch on this uh, question someone asked, but you remember I remember you saying something about uh, feeling like you then you know wasn't really in working ten, eleven, and twelve, and and I was just wondering what my question is is that um, not with just those steps, but the steps period. Uh, do you do you feel like did you feel like convicted in your spirit that something wasn't right or did it have a lot was you thinking about it a lot like something is not right? Well, thanks. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I was convicted and I had a conviction in my spirit that something wasn't right. I had a conviction in my spirit that something wasn't right. I was you know, I had thought that I worked the steps as outlined in the big book. So I kind of looked at it as an event, which was definitely not the way to look at it. And then I was living in 10, 11, and 12. And when I look back on it, I was living 10, 11, and 12 the way that the people that I was in touch with were living 10, 11, and 12. It's what I knew, which wasn't enough in my case. It wasn't, it wasn't pure it wasn't pure God consciousness because it told us, it said in the book, we have to go further. It said I had to do those nightly reviews and the reviews and the plan for the day deeply. I had to do them more deeply. I had to go deeper with God than I was doing it. So, um, you know, I could sense emotionally something wasn't right, but you hit the nail on the head. It was the, it was the, the conviction spiritually that was telling me that, God was somebody I was praying to every day, but I and I keep saying this, but it's true. But God consciousness wasn't throughout my day, wasn't pervasive in my thoughts, my words, and my actions. I could see that. I hope that's helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Gladys. Thank you so much. We'll ask um, one more. Last call for those that want to ask a question of Terry this morning. One last call. Can Terry give her number again, please? We're going to do that at the at the 
close of the recording for her anonymity against the world out there. So as soon as the recording stops, we'll ask her for that. Thank you. Anyone else with a question before we end today? Hi, this Last is call. Barbara Pete from New Hampshire. May I ask a question? Hi, Barbara. Yes, just one moment, please. We'll see if anybody's there, and then we will move from that. Anyone Hi, else? Carmel. Carmela G from New York. Hi Carmela. Hi Carmela. Let's let's end with that. That sounds good. That will take us to real close to a little bit after the hour. Thanks, Barbara B. Your question, please. Hi. Thank you very much for your share this morning. I have a hearing problem, so I I want to be sure I haven't missed things. But um, what what a, um, your share uh, recalls for me is you know I've been in program two over. 30 years and and it seems to me that there are times when um you know I'm feeling like there's something that I need to be doing an action that I need to be taking or a step of uh doing something differently than than how I'm doing it and then there are other times when I am doing as hard as I can trying to take away a character defect or, you know, in, in putting down some um, behavior or substance. And I'm doing it as hard as I can and, and the obsession remains and I can't seem to get free of it. And I, I have to back off and sort of remember that God is the only um, being that is going to remove that uh, obsession, and and so I have to step back and let God do something or change something in me that makes it possible for me to be free of the obsession or whatever. Is that is that anywhere in alignment with what you were talking about today? Yes, yes, I, and I guess that to add to that for me, like I, I relate to some of the things that you're saying. And the, and the thing that I've had to do differently is I can't do any of that alone. I used to face some of the dilemmas you just talked about alone. Like I would think that I was using a fellowship, but I really wasn't sharing what was going on with me. I was maybe alluding to it, and I don't know if any of that makes sense, but you know, I really have to come clean like and call somebody and say, hey, I, I really am trying to get this removed and it's not happening or whatever the case may be, because I need to listen, you know. I need to listen to what somebody else may have experienced or what they have to say, because usually I could be, you know, praying, um, but God, you know, God God has skin and, and comes to me through a variety of voices and ways. So, you know, I, I talk and talk and talk about it, not obsessively, but know that I have to be honest with at least one or two other people about it. And then um, the other thing is, getting out of myself, I realize that, you know, this program does tell us what to do with, you know, when we're, we're, we're struggling with a defect or we're struggling with a resentment or whatever the case may be. But I, I find that whether it's a call to, a, to my shut-in aunt or it's a call to a newcomer or it's, you know, doing something that I really don't want to do for my husband but it just makes sense that I'm able to do it, those are the kinds of things where I'm often delightfully surprised um, how my God consciousness has improved. So therefore, I get a message which might have been there all along, but I opened myself up to it by getting out of myself. And I hope that's helpful. That's perfect. Thank you very much.
Thank you, Barbara B. Carmela G., you'll be our last question today. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you so much, Melanie, for your service. And Terry, thank you for your share and your service this morning. I just wanted to, and if if you said it, I'm sorry that I would be asking it again because I had to interrupt the call for a few moments. Um, But my question for today is, if you could just summarize briefly what your day looks like. Um, as a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you. Sure. Um, so uh, I mentioned that I'm on a 10 and 11 step train. So depending on the schedule I make with my two-week partner, because that's what we do, we rotate partners every two weeks, um, my morning generally starts with uh, hitting my knees in the morning, uh, going to um you know, going to my, what I like to call my meditation area, which is my chair and then my favorite part of my house, Um, reading a couple of meditation books before I read the big book. And I read 84 to 88 today still, as I always have. But I'll also sometimes leave through the book and, you know, whatever's been on my mind or what might have been on my review the day before might be something I reflect on. I do a daily letter to God because I feel that my communion with God is more anchored in the morning when I do that. Um, I do write down my food every day, and I I take a picture of it and send it, text it to someone. Um, Do my 10 and 11 step call usually in the morning. Um, When I I'd love to tell you I sit there and have some real meditation time. Some days I do just in quiet, and some days I'm not able to do that. Um, throughout the day, uh, I am—I love that I'm, you know, sometimes don't have to initiate the calls or the texts they come. And when I'm at work or I'm at home, I try to take the call if it's, if it's another fellow, even if I can't stay on the call, just to say hello and remember who my tribe is. Because my husband and the rest of the civilians out there don't understand my disease, so I like to anchor with my tribe. And um, and then throughout the day, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not walking saintly on this earth, okay? My day isn't Mother Teresa's or anyone like that. I, you know, when those disturbances are happening during the day or, you know, I, uh, I'm i doing that 10-step text to someone or making that call or scheduling those calls midday at work just so that I can remember who I am and what I have to do saying the sick man's prayer over and over again a few times. Um, not every day, but, you know, when I need to, right? And uh, and then at night, um, you know, basically I go, to, I go to a few meetings a week. I try to get on vision a couple times a week. I try to schedule calls with the people I'm working with a few nights during the week. And then doing that nightly review, you know, trying to do that nightly review before my eyes are ready to shut, completely shut, like do it a little earlier so I'm conscious and doing a thorough job at it, getting ready for the next day, getting on my knees again before I go to bed. hope that's helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Carmela. And, and that would end our question portion of this particular presentation. Thanks again so much, Terry C., for for sharing your journey of experience, strength, and promise. <laughs> it was Thanks wonderful to hear that. To do that. 
Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for the deepening of that by answering these questions this morning for our fellows, thanks again. And once more to the, the congregation here, Terry C.'s contact information will be made available at the conclusion of the recording. I would like to close out our meeting this morning like we do normally at the end of our special editions on Sundays by reading page 164 in the big book. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourselves to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.